you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Tonight, I want to talk about the friend groups that we're all a part of. You know, you get like a group of people together, and we all have different roles. And maybe it's not just your friend group. Maybe it's like, hey, you get your family together, and everybody kind of has a role. So here's some of the different roles I think that we could uh, talk about tonight. Um, but first, fireworks. Uh, so I don't know the last place you were uh, when you saw fireworks. My hunch is you've seen fireworks many times before, but it's always impressive. But you don't really get to a point with fireworks like you're at the Canaries game and fireworks are going off and you're like, yeah, I've seen it. I'm good. And just sort of move on. Uh, one of the things that the scriptures wants to tell us, a story that is in front of us over and over and over, is that it is, imp- it is possible for the kingdom to be right in front of you, for Jesus to be right in front of you, and to miss it. In the same way that silly television Apple TV remote, I don't know, the devil breaks into my house and hides it like every night. And sometimes it's just right there, right in front of my face and I miss it. Or car keys, or I don't know if you do this one, sometimes my sunglasses, I'm looking for them and they're on my head. And Part of what the scripture wants to highlight again and again for us is Jesus is right here. And we miss him. Like the kingdom's right here. And we miss it. And so what are miracles? Like we're in this series on miracles. Miracles are fireworks trying to get the attention of Israel. Like, hey, do you remember of this promised Messiah? Like, do you remember this this man, this figure that your grandparents told you about? And one day he was going to come, and he was going to heal, and he was going to restore, and he was going to repair, and he was going to carry us out of death and sin and hell. And then he starts actually doing that in the world. He starts raising people up. People who couldn't walk are now walking. People who couldn't talk are now talking. People who couldn't hear are now hearing. Next week, we're going to talk about the man with the shriveled hand. His hand gets restored. And these are not magic tricks to show just how powerful Jesus is. No, these are meant to be fireworks to wake up Israel and to wake us up because Jesus can be right here. The kingdom can be right here, and we can miss it. And so today we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, and Mark chapter 2 is about a group of friends. So let's talk about uh, the group of friends. You get a group of friends together, and one person is the jukebox. Do you have this friend? Like, they're the one that helps you understand, like, a new song that just sort of, like, hit, or an old song you forgot about, or they're, like, humming. Do we have that friend? They're just always humming, or they're always singing, or they're always 
listening to some kind of solid, this is the jukebox person. We have the jukebox. We also have the parent. This is the responsible friend. This is the friend that goes, maybe we shouldn't. This is also the friend who says, maybe we should, right? Kind of carries the responsibility for the whole group. And it doesn't matter how old you get. You can be in your 70s and in your 80s, and you still have people who are parenting you. So we have the jukebox, we have the parents, we have the inventor. Who's the inventor? The inventor is the friend that always has the ideas, like, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that tonight? What if we went there? What if this? What if that? What if this other thing? Hey, I got an idea. Like, we all have those friends. We might have those people in your family. The caterer. This is the person who always has ideas for food. Like, where we should go eat. Like, what we should have. This is the friend that just sort of has snacks with them. Do you have this friend? Like, they just, like, show up. I'm like, why do you have snacks? How, where did you get... Why is there applesauce in your purse? Well, I don't know, just, just in case there's some kind of global crisis, we've got three pouches of applesauce, you know. I hope you have this friend. I hope you have this friend. It's a good friend to have, the caterer, and then the pilot. You ever notice how this works? Like, one friend is typically, like, the person who's driving, and you don't really discuss it, but, like, you get together or with your family, you're going to go somewhere with your family, and it's just a sort of assume the person who's driving. And then the jukebox sits in the front seat because they get the aux cord. Like, that's just, like, sort of how this works. Today, we're going to meet a man who has some friends, and we're going to see what we can learn. So this is Mark chapter 2. The heading in my Bible says, Jesus heals a paralytic. So a few days later, a few days later from what would be a good question to ask. What's happened is uh, Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. She had a fever. He raises her out of bed, and there's a bunch of people get really excited, and so then he goes away to pray. He gets out of there to go to a solitary place, to be alone with his father, not just to talk, but to listen, to rest in his presence, not to accomplish a bunch of things. And there's this great line, people kind of find Jesus, and they're like, hey, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus is like, I know, but I'm where I need to be. And then he comes back into Capernaum. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered outside the door. There was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic. So these are the friends, carried by four friends. The jukebox, the caterer, the parents, and the inventor. Doesn't say that, I'm just wondering if that's maybe what was going on. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof 
above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So verse 1 and 2, he returns from, their, from this retreat and he preaches the word to them. And inside of Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house, it kind of serves as this home base when they're doing ministry in Capernaum. And you know how this works. If I asked you to think about your seventh grade year or your sophomore year, my guess is there was a house you sort of found yourself gathering at. And some parents are like, yeah, Costco Bill went ridiculous because these people are coming over. Toby's parents never feed him. He only eats at my house. Like, that's just like how this works. Well, the same thing is going on here. The home base is Peter's mother-in-law's house. And so they're, they're gathered there. And who's there? The disciples are there. There's random people that are there. Like, there's such a big crowd of people that they couldn't even, like, carry this man in. They had to kind of go up, go up the stairs and start taking the roof off. But there's also these religious leaders who are there. And, and why are the religious leaders there? Well, they've seen the fireworks. Like, they've heard about the stuff that Jesus is doing, and they're just not sure. Like, they're curious, but they're a judgy kind of curious. You know that person? They want to know why, but they've kind of already decided why. And in the book of Mark, the opponents of Jesus, Mark is going to present the scribes as the opponents of Jesus. Matthew is going to kind of bring the Pharisees as the opponents of Jesus. And you're like, okay, well, what's the difference between scribes and Pharisees? That's a great question. Both had a great knowledge of the law, but scribes were a little more focused in the legal system. And so not only did they know the Torah and the Judaic law, but you needed a scribe if somebody died in your family, or if there was a marriage, or some kind of divorce, or you sold land, like you needed a scribe to kind of write up all of the paperwork that goes along with that. So if that's their job, they like to follow things, the letter to the law. It would be inconceivable that a scribe would put together a barbecue grill without following the instructions, step one, step two, step three. 
there's not a chance they would just throw it all together and see what happens. Right? So this is what's going on in this house. So super crowded. Jesus is preaching the word, Scripture says. Jesus is telling stories about his kingdom. Why? Because he doesn't want them to miss it doesn't want them to see the, the beauty of his kingdom, the all-surpassing wealth of his kingdom, and the wonder of his kingdom. He doesn't want them to get caught in the wrong story. He doesn't want them to think that all of life is just about what they can see. There's more going on here than meets the eye. So I'll show you where they're at, ministry of Jesus. So just to kind of like orient ourselves a little bit, here's where he's at. So see, Galilee's here, Nazareth is here, Capernaum kind of sits on that like northern corner of the Sea of Galilee. Eventually, he's going to make his way all the way to Jerusalem. And that's where he's going to give his life. It's really only 40 miles. So his ministry, it's like from here to Laverne. So we're not, we're not talking about tons and tons of area. It feels like it is, but they can pretty much walk everywhere. So these paralytic, this paralytic has some friends. And notice all of the verbs that Mark uses here. He says that they came to the house, bringing the man, carried by them, made an opening, they're digging through it, and they lowered the man to Jesus. And these friends are the subject of all of those verbs. Like, they didn't allow their faith just to be this, like, academic exercise where it's only about the facts. It's only about knowing the laws and knowing all of the things they were supposed to be doing. Their faith did not die in their brain. But instead what happened was that there were seeds that were planted in their mind that were given fruit and production in their life. And you're like, well, what's the implication for that? I don't know. No, the implication for that is for our faith to not die in our brain. We live in this post-enlightenment world where we can kind of think a problem to death. If I can just understand it, then I can overcome it. I can have control if I can understand why this happened or this happened or this happened. And when it comes to our faith, like, our faith is just more than facts. Like, our faith is just more than events that have happened. Like, our faith is more than being able to name the 12 disciples. Although, maybe that's a fun exercise. It just can't die there, you guys. It can't stay there. Like, it's got to have more teeth than that. Because when you find yourself in a moment of darkness and pain and despair, the question is not, 
how much do you know about God? Like, how many facts can you regurgitate, can you recite? Like, what grade would you get on the test? But the question's like, hey, do you have a hope to claim in the moment that you're in? Do you have a name to call on? Do you have a strength that's coming outside of you? Do you have a hope that is rooted in things that maybe you cannot see or experience or touch in that moment? Church, do not let your faith die in your brain. And these men are an example of that. And then verse 5. Mark tells us that Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? I feel like a lot of times when this scripture is taught, we end up talking about like the faith of the friends. But I think Jesus sees more than just the faith of the friends, I think he also sees the faith of the man. I think it is also the man, the paralytic man, and him. I think that's the faith that Jesus sees. I mean, I don't know how trusting you are of your friends. I don't know if you would be willing to be carried upstairs on a roof lying on a mat. I've got some friends that I wouldn't trust doing that. Just being honest with you. I don't know about your friends. I'm just talking about my friends. Some of them aren't here tonight, so we could talk about them. But would not trust that dude carrying me anywhere. But yet this man, and all this about his situation, not going to pretend like he's not paralyzed. He's carried up on the roof. They start tearing the roof apart. This is a very awkward scenario. This is a very disruptive scenario. And I think there's a, there's a question here when Jesus notices their faith, and it's just a simple question of, like, who sees your faith? Like, in this moment, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus sees the faith of a paralytic and the faith of his friends. And I just wonder, like, who sees your faith? I wonder if you see your faith. Like, I wonder if you, as you think about your life, I wonder if you can see what you believe, what you believe, and what you believe. Uh, I guess another question would be, how would Jesus say he sees your faith? How would he say that he sees that? Being worked out, being lived out. Not just being claimed, but being embodied. How is it that he would say he has seen faith in you not just die in your brain? But how would he say he's seen it being lived out and being carried from place to place to place? So Jesus sees their faith. It's not the only thing that he can see. Jesus, in another place, in Matthew chapter 7, he will say that fruit makes faith visible. So like, how does Jesus see faith? Well, Jesus sees faith like anybody else sees faith. Like by the fruit. By the fruit that uh, accompanies the life. 
Uh, there's this author, C.S. Lewis. You're not going to be able to read this, some of you, so I'll read it to you. Um, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying he trusted a person if you would not take his advice. I feel like they called out a truth bomb in 2023. Uh, thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, but trying in a new way. Isn't that beautiful? Like you're trying differently. How are you trying? A less, oh, this is so good, a less worried way. A less anxious way of trying to obey. Not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way, because that first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. So Clive Staples Lewis is not trying to get us away from obedience. He's wanting us to get out of obedience in a different way, a more hopeful way, a less anxious way, not like, oh, someday if I do enough stuff, same when St. Peter answers the door, I'll have a good enough resume. No. Being united with Christ is we will just get to experience more fully what's already begun to sprung, spring into our hearts, into our life. Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that what the religious leaders were thinking in their hearts, and he said to him, What's easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? Like, the religious leaders don't like what Jesus is doing. Like, no, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Like, you can heal him, that's completely fine. We would actually applaud. That's sort of why we're here. Because you've been healing people, and we're curious. We saw the fireworks, so we're here. So we're good if you heal people. Mother-in-law, great. Person who can't walk, great. But don't you dare say that you can forgive sins. Don't you dare bring forgiveness into this deal. That's God's deal and not yours. And that's where the scribes and Jesus are going to differ. And Jesus says, well, what's easier then? Is it easier for me to just speak into some kind of sickness, some kind of disease, some kind of visible thing? Or is it easier for me to speak into forgiveness, into some kind of invisible thing? And part of what Jesus wants the religious leaders to understand, he's come to speak into both. Like his authority... His power, his grace, his love, his nature is to be spoken into things that are visible and things that are invisible. And so Jesus is seeing in this moment more than faith. What else is he seeing? He's also seeing judgment, isn't he? 
He's seen the certainty of the religious leaders. They know the answers. And they're very sure that their perspective on the thing is right. And what is Jesus trying to do as he is coming face to face with faith and certainty? I think Jesus is asking them to reconsider their response. Like, he's not trying to attack them. He's not trying to shame them. He's not trying to kick them out of the house. He's saying, oh, I deeply desire for you to think about this differently. I deeply desire for you to understand what's actually going on here. Like, would you rethink how you are thinking about this because your way of thinking is paralyzing you. Your way of thinking is stunting your growth. Your way of thinking is allowing faith to die in your brain. And you're so focused on that that you're missing the God who's right in front of you. You're missing the kingdom that is right in front of you. I love this story tonight. I love how Jesus heals. Man, because we got a lot of stuff that has happened in and on planet Earth that's really destructive. And so we need healing. I love that about this story. Do you know what else I love about this story? I love that Jesus is inviting the religious leaders and us to reconsider how we're thinking about him. To reconsider how we're thinking about forgiveness. To reconsider how we are thinking about grace. To reconsider how we are thinking about love. To reconsider how we are thinking about mercy. To consider, to rethink how we are coming at obedience. And so I just wonder tonight, as we come to the end of this story in our time together, like, is there something that Jesus is encouraging us to rethink? An online. Is there something that's like, hey, I, I want you to sit with that a little bit more. Because what if our thinking patterns paralyzed us? What if our thinking patterns have kept us stuck in a wrong story? What if the way that we're thinking about ourselves and other people somehow is allowing us to miss the God that's right in front of us, the kingdom that's right in front of us? Uh, it's interesting, about seven years ago, I preached this same scripture passage. Some of you were in the room and some of you weren't and this week I looked back and I was like oh that's really cute Pastor Dave what you wrote seven years ago and that's really sweet and tender and kind um, I want to tell you what's happened to me during the last seven years as I've grown and that I've come to understand things that I didn't understand in 2016 and that's what we're called to 
It's like part of following Jesus. Um, I was at the FCA fly football game on Saturday, and the speaker who was supposed to be there wasn't able to be there. And so Brian Hansen, who's the leader of it, texted me like right before. He's like, hey, can you share something? And I was like, ah, okay. Um, and so I was talking with the kids about, like, hey, you know God. Grow up in him and serve him with your life. And they're just ready to play football. They weren't really listening. But there's probably one that was. And when I think about that sermon in 2016, and I think about where God's carried me since, man, it's like what I hope for us for, as a community, that we, consider, we continue to learn, we continue to grow, continue to ask questions. And, but that powers us, that causes us to get up, take our mat, and go to all the places that God sends us. I just want to ask you one more time as I invite um, Caleb up, I'm going to pray, and then we'll close our time together. Is do you need to reconsider grace? Do you re- need to reconsider love? Do you need to reconsider what it looks like to obey? Because maybe you feel like, no, this is what it means to obey, and I've got it handled. And Jesus might be going, well, hey, what about that thing? What about the thing that you haven't really handed over, that you've not been willing to look at? Let's look at that together. Obey me, follow me, but in a new way. In a way where heaven has begun to spring inside of you and to power you all the seasons of your becoming. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.